going to VAR. They're checking. <laughs> hey, Connie. Check complete. Let's head over to the bar. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the VAR Bar podcast. It is episode 165. My name's Jake. I am, of course, your resident oil baron Chelsea fan. And this week, once again, I have the absolute honour of hosting the VBP podcast. Let's hear it from the lads today. We have got Drew in the building. How are we doing? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Sipping on the juice of my enemies right now. So you get me? Just waiting on my, just, just waiting on my other enemies to, to, to lose tomorrow. And then uh, we'll be good, man. That's what I like to hear. And then last but certainly not least, a stranger, but he is back. I can only uh, think of why he's managed to come back. It is C Strides in the building. How are you doing, man? I am feeling good, man. Can't lie, good to be back. Feeling villainous, feeling victorious, <laughs> feeling unbeaten. Um, but now, nah, man, happy to be back. It's good to hear your voice on this podcast, man. It's good to hear your voice. Um, right, boys. We gotta jump straight into it because there was so much football this over the last week. But we're gonna start with the women's World Cup final. It was on today. The pubs opened up early. I had to get <laughs> there half an hour beforehand to make sure I got my seat in Manchester. But I did it, boys. I prime viewing and England's lionesses. They were keen to do on Sunday what the men haven't been able to do since 1996 and bring the World Cup home against a Spain team that pre-tournament were in complete disarray. So for those that didn't know, they wanted their coach out. Like about 15 players openly signed a letter asking them to kick the coach out. The Spanish Federation said, no, we're keeping him. You either come with or you get left at home. A couple of them came, a couple of them stayed. And the ones that got to Australia, it paid off. An incredibly tight game was broken by Spain, scoring the first half, pouncing on a mistake by Lucy Bronze with their captain, Olga, opening and finishing the scoring, unfortunately. But in a game lacking attacking fluidity, I think Spain were able to really expertly manage the second half, despite Maria saving a penalty and telling their entire team to fuck off in what will be one of the most memeable content of the rest <laughs> of the year, you have to say. That was brilliant. Um, Drew, you're sort of the neutral here. Um from what you saw of the game, what did you make of it? <laughs> to be honest, man, I tuned in very, very late. I think from like the 70th, 75th minute or something. And um, all I could see was obviously, um, yeah, Spain was leading. Uh, England just had the ball. Uh, they had a lot of the ball, actually. Um, they played good combinations, tried to play it out from the back. Uh, but there was a lack of urgency, even at that, at that time when, you know, it's a World Cup final. Uh, you need to get going. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm, that, that's the main thing that I know. And also Spain, from what it looked like, they managed the game really well. They started bringing out the dark arts, um, getting fouls, laying on the floor, winning time, um, faking injuries. Uh, the BBC commentators crying about it. I was just laughing. Like it was just it was just jokes, man. But you know, even at the, when when Spain actually tried to play football, because throughout the game, I've, I've been told that Spain were actually balling um, up until obviously at the latter stages of the second half. But yeah, whenever they had the ball, they did look like very clean, nice, technically good, good passes. Um, yeah, they look decent, man. So 
I don't know if it's deserved. They beat Holland as well. So obviously, uh, from a from a Netherlands pers- perspective, uh, it was pretty interesting to see if they would actually go all the way. So yeah, from my perspective, it's probably deserved to be honest. Um, I didn't catch the whole tournament, but that's how I see it. Yeah. Nah, I get it. Like Spain were pretty good in this game, to be fair. Like especially on the ball, I thought England were extremely rushed like they're playing three at the back they were playing three center mids like they were trying to go direct like what worked for them before in previous games and it just it didn't work here like I, they hit the bar from a half chance but apart from that like spain they missed an like how they missed a chance they did if you if you listeners you go and find that online one of the chances they missed i think just after or just before they scored unbelievable has the whole goal to score it uh, and just hits Mary Earps. Unbelievable. But um, you are absolutely right. Dark Arts, they, that was a masterclass in shithousery, what the Spanish mm-hmm. were doing. Like, sitting in a pub of all English fans, you're obviously screaming at every decision the ref gave them. And then about five minutes afterwards, I just sat there and went, God, if that if I was a Spanish fan right then, I'd be telling them they bought everything. They'd done it well. Like it was perfection from shithousery standpoint. Um, Strikes, I'll come to you with this because the Lionesses won Euro twenty twenty one, which was twenty twenty two, because of all the setbacks, and there was the massive cultural impact. You're thinking record crowds, like Arsenal, pretty much sold out the Emirates. Chelsea, pretty much sold out Stamford. Um, viewership of the WSL went up massively. There's a record intake now of girls' football across the UK. Um, for me, the Women's World Cup hasn't been nearly as well advertised as the Euros. I don't know, maybe if it was because obviously this one's in Australia, whereas the Euros were essentially all based in England. Um, what do you, do you think this has as big an intro, a cultural impact? Do you think it continues the good work the Lionesses have been going on, or? that a loss instead of being able to bring home the trophy could slow down their momentum. Uh, personally, like I agree. It hasn't been advertised as much, um, but definitely because it's, it's been in Australia, time differences, things like that. But I don't think it will have that kind of impact in terms of um, engagement and like moving forward for like young girls around the country to get involved with football. I mean, me personally, um, I did start watching a tournament this year because of the success in the Euros. I could name you pretty much the whole 11 for the England women's team. And I couldn't have done that prior to to the the Euro. So I feel like it will just grow in general. I feel like from, obviously I work in an environment where it is quite um, advertised and, and spoken about a lot. Um, and it's definitely because of the success. And I think success does bring engagement. It does bring people wanting to know more. But at the same time, they've they've done the country proud again. They've done more than the, than the, the men's team. And um, I think just because they didn't win today doesn't mean that they haven't been successful. Um, and I think it will continue to grow and their reputation will continue to to, to grow as well. So I think in general, um, the tournament's been a good thing. Obviously, you always want to go into it and win it, but to get to a final after winning the Euros last year is, is success and long may it continue, man. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Like, I, I love watching the Lionesses play. Like I'm well proud of them. And I think I am proud of the England team as well to a certain degree, but I definitely feel more pride watching the lionesses and uh, just seeing them because i think especially with like women's football and man's pitch like just from a biological standpoint it is stamina wise it is a lot more draining on them especially in an environment like australia and when you see them like putting in the, those last gas runs it just i don't know it gets 
it gets me moved in a different way compared to the lad side. But then again, I watch Chelsea these days, so fucking who knows. Um, but <laughs> unfortunate for the Lionesses, but extremely proud of them. Congrats to Spain. They were genuinely very, very good. And I think as well, given all the circumstances around them, like absolute props to them. Like I think I was reading they didn't have their best goalkeeper, defensive mid and winger in <laughs> the you- whole 23. Did you hear that the <laughs> that the um at when when they were giving out the medals and the trophy, the Spanish FA president kissed Hermonso, Hem- whatever her name is, on the lips, yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't feeling it at all. I, I mean, that man, yeah, the controversy, yeah. the controversy will keep chasing them, man. Hundred percent, hundred percent, like that, and that the coach as well. Like every time his name was brought up or he got like introduced, like for his medal, the booze rained out like that is a win in spite of everything whoever represented them on the pitch that's their win no one else's but fair play congrats to them once again um we're gonna move back in the week now we usually don't usually do this we start at the start and then go towards the end but we had to mention that first it's world cup final um but we now go back cast your mind back listeners to monday night football six days ago the theatre of dreams where Manchester United welcome a wolf side where Gary Neal had taken over, I think, five days beforehand. And after watching uh, that whole game, really, you would not have said Wolves were the team that had a manager for only five days because, wow, United were dreadful. Wolves, the only bit they were worse than United was just putting away their chances. They were creating everything they wanted to and just could not put it in the back of the net. But, Boys, we've grown up with the fear of dreams and with Fergie's United. I know that's been a long time away, but when away sides give up that many chances at Old Trafford, it usually does cost them. Lo and behold, Rafa Varane with about 10 minutes left scores from an Aaron Wambasaka cross because we all had that on our bet builders <laughs> to give United all three points. Um, Drew, I'll start with you here. United last year, they finished, what, third? Eric Ten Hag comes in has a pretty impressive year there were some holes but on the whole i think he had his reputation enhanced and this summer they've made three major signings all of which have been quote-unquote ten hag signings like he's demanded all of them you've got onana who i mean he should have given away a pen at the end but on the ball looks fantastic and i think he is offering more than de gea you've got hodgland who we haven't seen yet but why you'd buy a player with a fractured back i'm not really sure and then you've got my former favourite, Mason Mount. Now, listeners know this. You guys know this. It's not hard. I used to be probably Mason Mount's biggest fan. Um, to say he looks lost in this United team, or a ghost really, would be kind. So what gives? What's going on there? I mean, for me, this is where the, I, I foresaw this, to be honest. If you, if you, if you remember when even the links were happening and I think Liverpool were also heavily linked with Mason. Actually, we were linked with Mason Mount heavily before United came into play, actually. And I was like, if, if it was really, um, between those two clubs, Mason Mount would suit a Liverpool more than a United. Uh, because <clears throat> with Liverpool, he can just, you know, we, we, we just play with that free and he can just be that eight. That just goes forward and does his thing, um, helping helping um, the attackers. So basically, what McAllister does, but on a 
on a lesser level, maybe. Or maybe on a level where he probably chips in with a lot more goals. At United, they kind of already have um, a quote-unquote Mesa Mount there already in the form of Bruno Bruno Fernandes. Then they have a a, 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 a six who, who currently looks to me a better attacker than a defender. So... Put them, put put all them three together on a pitch. It's Kamikaze, and you can see that from a mile off. You get me. So I think the only way for Mason Mount to work at United at the moment is he has to play up on the wing. So either right wing or left wing. I don't know where he excels at. Probably left wing, but that's a non-starter. Right wing maybe can be his, can be his spot. But anywhere in the midfield with with Bruno and Casemiro, it's a non-starter, man. Because those three, these three players, that they, they don't necessarily uh, care for the defending like that. They give away possession a lot. They, um, you know, Bruno less so nowadays. But you know, Mason Mount, you know, decision making as of late has been extremely poor. I mean, I mean, we can all foresaw foresee this, man, and. To be honest, man, long may this continue, man. You know, United, United, lot they think, you know, they think they finished third last season. Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool had a poor season by their own standards. Spurs as well. Uh, they thought they were back. They thought they were, you know, close to Arsenal, or whatever. But they're, they're nowhere near, man. And even then, they were they they, ne- they nearly let Liverpool in. <laughs> you get me? So, yeah, for me, yeah, it's gonna be difficult seeing where Mason Mount's gonna play in this United team. I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. He, he, I mean, like I say, I used to love Mason Mount, and now I don't have to. Um, and he just doesn't fit. Full stop. That is going to be an intense adaptation period that I don't think United have time for. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to do that, that's got to work in preseason, right? You have to make that because you're now going to get into the mitts. I don't know when Europe starts because my team isn't in it, so I don't have to subscribe to TNT Sports this year. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you you have a team, like, you need to get that it works because once you hit two games a week, you don't train. So if it doesn't work now, mm-hmm. that is not impressive. And like you say, like, he's going to have to take up a wing. Well, left wing will be Rashford's once Hoodland comes back and then right wing strides. Anthony is gash. <laughs> I, I know, Drew, you've been on Sancho watch, but he doesn't even get on the pitch, so you're not even watching him anymore. But Anthony <laughs> strikes. My God, like, what does he do? Anthony, Anthony is pony. That, like, I don't really know what he's good for. I'll tell you what he's good for. He's good for a yellow card and a bet builder. He's good for two fouls. <laughs> Obviously, like, he don't really take on his man. He doesn't really have him product. Does he, I see him doing flip flaps and little step overs and shimmies, but he's got no right foot, so you know he's going to come back inside on his left. He can shoot sometimes from distance, but all in all, like just not been impressed. And look, like last season was his first season. I always give players a first season grace and benefit of the doubt, but obviously two games in now, we'll talk about the game a bit later, but it's just looking like the same old Anthony, really. I mean, they've got problems, United. They've got real problems out wide. Rashford ain't a nine. Obviously, you spoke about Mason Mounts not fitting in in that system. Um, defensively, poor as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things that that they need to address, man. But yeah, definitely Anthony is one of them players where you've you've signed them for big money. You've kind of got to hope it works, but it doesn't always work. And you think that you know working previously with Ten Hag at Ajax, he he kind of had a relationship with him, uh, but coming into the Premier League is a different ball game, and it's just not quite fitting at the moment. 
No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Like you say, we'll, we'll mention United a bit more, but as well, you say defensively, a certain butcher, dot, dot, dot. That's all I'll say. Got dragged in it. He got dragged in that game. <laughs> I didn't see that moment though. I missed the first half. But what did what did he actually do for for Tenak to be like, nah, you can't you can't stay on. <laughs> oh um, oh god, that's it's now slipped from my mind. I really should have looked that. I really should have. Unless strikes can bail me out here, but I think he got he got like a pointless yellow, something like that, and then he made like a rash tackle on the halfway line, which he got away with. So basically, he would have had two yellows. He should have had two yellows, basically, but he didn't. And then Tenag dragged something like that. But yeah, I didn't see it, man. But <laughs> oh, man. Not surprised. Not surprised at all. And then you're playing Wambasaka as well, who all last year you spent complaining about they wasn't good enough over Dallow. But hey, I'll start to speak about him later. And I will. Um, <laughs> right, we'll move, we'll move on from Monday Night Football. So midweek, European Super Cup, City defeated Sevilla. Midweek on penalties to win it. Um, game was pretty meh as far as I was concerned. The only, the biggest takeaway was Pep complaining afterwards about having to play on Saturday. Like, are you not used to that by now? To be honest, man. Like, come on. Let's just, yeah, let's just go. But at the, but at this stage, it was a bit harsh though because you you could have put that game on Monday night. Low could've, key, could have. But... At the same time, I am sort of just there, like, yeah. Like, you know the drill by now. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know it's Pep. I know he loves to complain. To be, to be, you know what? To be fair to them, yeah, we'll, we'll touch on them. He does mention those things, but at the same time, they get on with it, unlike other teams. Yeah. They do get on with it and get the job done. So you have to give them props for that, man. I'll be honest. I've got no sympathy for, for them, man. They're like, you played on Friday night against Burnley a day earlier to give yourself some extra recovery for the... The, the Super Cup game, you got the millions and millions worth of players in your squad. Just play the man and, and win the ting, man. I'm not trying to hear that rubbish about an extra day. Like, you don't get such luxuries all the time. Like, you're Man City, so just get on with it. I respect that. I completely forgot they played on Friday Night Football as well, so that's a bloody great point, Strikes. So I'm glad you're back, man. Um, <laughs> Manaditos. <laughs> Someone prepared a little bit better than I did. Um, no, Friday Night Football will go to the second one. Um, Notts Forest bouncing back from their opening day defeat against Arsenal, beating the, let's call it what it is, the relegation bound Blades, thanks to, it was a last gasp winner though from Chris Wood, but Forest were just better than the Blades from minute one to minute 90. Um, Tewo Awaniyi, that was his eighth Premier League goal now in six Premier League games, to, going back to last season, obviously. Um, if he stays fit, Forest is safe as houses, right? You get a goal scorer that can get you 10, 15 goals. You'd get, you're going to be fine, in, especially when I think this year you've probably got two relegation-bound teams pretty nailed on in Sheffield and Luton. So let's see if they can keep doing it. Also, Gibbs White, man, he's, he's looking good. He's looking like he's carried on his form. That Taiwo Donny, yeah, he is like your... The, the profile of striker that he is, like a bottom 10 club, he's perfect. Like, he does everything that you want him to do, and he's super direct, super strong. Like, it doesn't matter what defender is he's up against, he just barges them away. Um, yeah, man, and he, he got an eye for a goal, man. He's I love him, man. He's good. Yeah, he is. He is. He is. He, one of those ones as well, like, as a centre-back, especially these days, you just he's just going to be in your chest for 90 yeah. minutes, and it's not going to be fun. Um, 
Can't you then lie. got no I'll be early right kickoff. I had a certain man. Sorry, go oh, no. That's what I was going to uh, say on, on him. I, I, mate, I'll be taking him. I listen, I might have to hold my hands up on that one, boy, because... <laughs> <laughs> man, I'm free in the R9 now. <laughs> oh, man. God. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll revisit that another time. Um, right. Saturday, we had no early kickoff because reasons. N- not sure why that happened. Um, but in waiting for the 3 p.m. slate, absolutely worth it. Three games, 11 goals, a red card in each game. Exactly what you want. Huh. Um, Fulham, Brentford, West London derby. Fulham got ran over at home by Brentford. Vista sc- opening scoring, then Embremo warming my heart and leading my fantasy team, getting the second and third goals. Um, Strides. Fulham, sneaky relegation candidates now that they've sold Mitrovic. Not going to lie, man. It, after last season, they always say, you know, your first season syndrome, second season, you get you get sent back down. They were impressive um, in the, last season, but losing Mitrovic, I think, how many goals did he get? 15 done. goals last season, roughly. Yeah, like, they're done, man. It's hard they're done. to see who will, yeah, who will get the goals. I mean, Carlos Vinicius isn't that guy. Um, and goals from, from other sources, Willian and... Other players, Deco over Reed. I just can't see it, man. They, they, a sneaky, sneaky chance, maybe. They've got a few good players. And obviously, I do like Marco Silva, but just not sure, man, where the goals are going to come from for them. Like I said, man, those teams, you need like a, like a Taiwa Awonini, man. Like, and they had, they had probably a better version in Mitrovic. And they speak for them, man. I think, yeah, if they do not get a striker in of that same mold, ilk, I don't know from where. It's going to get peak. I heard they're linked with um, Balogun from Arsenal. But I don't know if Balogun is up for that scrap. You get me? That, yeah. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. As well, it's just not even that. It's like defensively. I think they've conceded some like 10 plus shots on target from both teams or like 15 plus shots from Mm. both Everton last week and now Brentford. Like you're not going to survive in the Premier League if you're continuing to let your goal get peppered like that. Like, you've got to shut it down. Um, we'll move on, though. Brighton, travelling to Wolves. So we all discussed Wolves. I didn't give them enough credit. They were cracking against United. I get that United made it easier for them in places, but they were superb up until finishing their chances. Um, and then Brighton came in and just fucking ripped them apart. Like, made them look like the relegation candidates <laughs> I think they are. Um, Brighton become the sixth team in the Premier League history to score four goals in both of their opening games. Um, that Mitoma goal, is that Messi-esque, right? That's Messi-esque, the way he just dribbled past everyone. That was bloody superb. Like, the pace he had. I cannot no. wait for Chelsea to buy him for £120 million. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't supposed to get him, man. That change of pace was crazy. And then the composure at the end to put it, to finish it as well. Yeah, man, he's the real deal. I can't lie, he is the real deal. And he's the next one to get snapped up, really. Yeah. The, the ball sticks to his feet. The man has glue on his bloody shoes. I'm I'm sure of it. It's beautiful. I didn't know he was 26, though. I thought he was like, yeah. Guys, guys, he's like entering entering his prime. <laughs> it's mad. That, that. I, I obviously didn't know that so that's yeah. um, you, you just assume with Brighton don't you that they sign like 19 year olds and then just make them class and then Chelsea buy them so who knows um, but yeah Estupanan he 
kicked off the second. I think within the first ten minutes, it went of the second half. It went from one nil to four nil, thanks to a Stupenham and a Solly March double. Solly March at the end of the game on match of the day, he was getting asked about England call up. Now, how many goals does he have to do for that, Drew? Like, because I, I think of that wide department. He has got a lot of competition before his yeah. name probably even gets mentioned, right? Yeah. Yeah, he needs to take time at the moment, man. Um I don't think like he's a he's a decent player, I must say, and his 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 um development has been nice to see, to be honest. But, you know, like you said, in terms of the wide options, England are stacked, beyond stacked even. So at the moment he needs to put up bare numbers and performances needs to be like great across the board as well for him to be even considered. You get me? So I don't, I don't see it, man. Hundred percent. Um, we'll move on. The last three PM game: Liverpool welcoming Bournemouth to Anfield, hoping to repeat their nine-goal demolition of the Cherries last year. Well, three minutes in, that didn't happen. Um, we'll talk about that goal. But Trent loses the ball in centre mid from arguably a not a great VVD pass, but ultimately it is Trent's poor touch that lets. <laughs> Chaos and shoe. Semenyo slots it away. Bournemouth get the early lead. However, that completely galvanised Liverpool. They ran out 3-1 winners. And that was despite losing McAllister in the second half due to an awful refereeing decision. Um, Drew, I'll come to you. Like Last week, obviously, our two teams battled for a one-all draw. Much happier this week? Yeah, much happier. Um, expected a clean sheet, to be honest. I'm pretty disappointed in the way... Uh, that we started we started awful um we, we probably didn't expect brighton um to press us as much as they did and credit to brighton in terms of the whole game because they they kind of ran us ragged and they made you know us they basically woke us up basically because i think that the, the the guys thought it would be an easy day out it would be probably be a 9-0 again but it was none of that to be honest so um, I was pretty happy to see, you know, after the first 20 minutes, um, how we managed the game and especially uh, the early red card in the second half as well from McAllister. We just, you know, with 10 man, um, Soboslai went back into the six. Um, we brought on Endo um, and we just, you know, managed the game professionally, man. And um, I think I think Bournemouth were good, good value, not for a draw or anything, but they played much, much better than, you know, last season like, um, at Anfield. So... And much better than I expected as well. So, yeah, credit to them, but good win. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Strides, obviously, all the transfer talk this week has been about Liverpool needing a six, needing that pivot player to replace Fabinho. And they bought one. Uh, A man I've never heard of before, I'll be honest. I don't know ball. A man called (laughs) Endo from Stuttgart. Um, Judging off this performance... Should Liverpool be done there or do they still really need to keep retooling ahead of the transfer window closing in, what, 12 days? I'll be real, like, similar to yourself, Jake. I've never heard of my man. I don't know who he is. Obviously, he wasn't the main choice. Um, He's not been spoken about previously. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a panic buy. Um, And Liverpool's recruitment, nine times out of ten, is is, is done well. But... um, Whether or not he's he's the, the answer, I think time will tell. I need to see a bit more, but... With the window closing in 12 days, it's hard to really know. I don't think they can get away with just having one player that can play that position because if he gets injured, they're in the same boat. But at the same time, if they've got potential targets and it's just more of a stopgap kind of signing, then you don't want to spend too much money 
and on on the transfer fee and then the wages on a player you don't even really really want long term. So um, I think the hope for them is that he stays fit if he's going to come in and start. I don't know, Drew, if you've got more like of an idea about it, but I think the hope is he stays fit, comes in, does well, and then next season they go and get someone maybe a bit more suited um, long term. Yeah. Nah, I think, um, yeah, li like both of you, like everyone actually, I haven't heard from Endo neither. Um, I think this was definitely um, the, the new sporting director and a Jurgen Klopp signing. I think Jurgen Klopp came out and basically said that Endo was his decision. Um, and, you know, if he was to ask like the club that he played for uh, previously, uh, like those fans, they would say like, you know, for them, he was like a very good six. And from what I've seen, um, he does the job, basically. So I'm not going to say like I'm impressed or whatever. I just need to see it. So basically what Strizza said, I need to see a bit more. Um, his cameo um, was pretty decent. He, you know, he hoovered up a few um, loose balls, made some good tackles. Uh, but obviously we were with 10 man, so it was a bit difficult for him. So I need to see a bit more. I do think that we will try and get another six. Um by the time the window closes, I don't think we'll wait till next season because, like you said, that would be suicide in terms of an injury or suspension, whatever. It will be done, even though we still got Thiago that 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 can play there. But he's also he also gets injured a lot. Bicetic, who had a freakish injury as well, so you can't really rely on those two to carry carry you until the next season. So we need like one more body, but whoever that is, I don't know. And I think. <laughs> everyone involved with like transfers at Liverpool they're stressed at the moment because Fabinho Henderson leaving was not part of the plans at least for this summer um, losing on both Lavia and Kaiseido was also not part of the plans so yeah I don't know who they're going to pull out I'm hearing Dukure from Crystal Palace I'm hearing there's some serious interest in that um, I wouldn't mind him to be honest but I haven't heard any other names man so let's wait and see I've got to be honest, I think Decor is such a mid-signing for you. I, yeah. he, I think he does nothing. I get the fact that you need a body, but... That, it's a bit underwhelming name-wise, right? But Oh, yeah. He's just, he, he is a jack-of-all-trades master of none. That is mm. exactly what he is in that role. And I think the biggest upside you get with him is that he releases McAllister a bit more and you continue to see what Sabozlai does, who, by the way, terrific. He yeah. looks like a fantastic bit of business by you guys already. So if he does that, then great. But otherwise, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't be sold on it. I don't think you are either. I think it's very much a case of you'll take him because he's a body. But yeah, like I, I think at best he profiles as a squad player for you guys. Going <laughs> I mean, I've got, then we would, I've got a question yeah. about that though. Go on. Would you take Hoiberg? I know he's been linked with Atletico Madrid, but would you take him? Or again, are you saying that not of the quality? I think, I think like, like at the moment, I don't know, boy. Hoiberg, what's his name? Dokure, I don't know. I had, to be honest, I had my heart set on Lavia because he was the one that we've been linked in for the longest. I had my heart set on him. And then, and then maybe if we had, if we then signed Endo afterwards, I would have been happy. You get me? But now I'm looking, I'm not, I don't know, man, because Dokore, he strikes me as like a kind of like a destroyer. And I know he can play because I've seen him. I've seen him at um, Lance before he made his Crystal Palace. He he does have it in him, to be honest, but we haven't really seen him do that for Crystal Palace like that yet. So um, I would welcome Dokore, Hoiberg, 
Mm, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. But at this point, we just need an extra body in there. That's it. And someone that can just, you know, sit in front of the defense, hoover up, free up um, McAllison's for boss lie. That's, that's just all that we need, man. And then we'll be fine. Yeah, fair. Fair, absolutely fair. I mean, last point on that. I know it won't happen because he's Everton, but Onana, he'd be a treat. Anyway, <laughs> um, right, strikes, get your smile ready, get yourself hyped up. I'll introduce the game and then... I'll let you speak about it because the 5.30 kickoff saw Spurs' home debut and Ange getting himself to North London, welcoming those Red Devils we were speaking so highly about earlier. Um, Percy, I thought the first half was pretty evenly balanced. I think there were a couple of loose penalty decisions, but both teams had opportunities. And at the end of the day, I've always said it, if you lead it up to the refs, it ain't going to work out. And the only hope United have in the second half was the refs, because the rest of it was shit. Pape Sar opening the so- scoring before my favourite, the butcher, Lissandro Martinez, putting the ball in his own net to give Spurs the 2-0 win. Um, strides, like I said, I hope you're ready. You can, the floor is yours. Just go with it wherever you need to go. All right, I want to first off start by saying to Prez and Char, who obviously can't be here, good day, mate. Big answer. <laughs> uh, that was a really bad Australian accent. I'm not gonna lie, but um, yeah, obviously buzzing with the win, man. I can't lie. I've been smiling since since the game for, uh, finished yesterday. Since full time, um, yeah, man. Just what a performance! I think first half was even. I think they had some good chances. Probably should have had a penalty. In fairness, um, we hit the bar. Had a few half chances, but it was an even game. But second half, we just dominated, man. We bossed it. Um, I thought Basuma was man of the match, fantastic, just so good on the ball, calm, dropped the shoulder, just dictated the whole second half, dictated the whole game, to be honest with you. I thought Saar came in for skip and was was excellent as well. Madison showed his quality um, and yeah, man, just all in all, just so, so happy. I think the vibes are back, man. The vibes are back, I think. And just come in, he's had to deal with obviously the whole Kane stuff, him going to Bayern and Maybe to a certain extent, like morale dropping just the day before the season. Um, but it's always going to be a tough game. We haven't beat United yet at the new stadium. And, you know, it's a big game. First first home game of the season. But the boys look good, man. You know, Van de Ven's come in and, he, and he's fitting perfectly. Adogi looks really good at left back. I think Emerson Royale, obviously, to, be, to not start the game was a bit unfortunate because I thought he did all right last week. But Poro came in and, and did well, I thought. Just all in all, man, the only real worry for me at the moment, weirdly, is the front three. I think Son looks off it completely. Richarlison non-existent and Kulisevsky's just not quite looking at it either. But, um, you know, hopefully that will come. But just in general, man, just what a performance from us. I, I think to, to go out there and, and dominate the game the way we did, especially in the second half, is credit to, to Postacoglu for what he's done in a short space of time. And it just goes to show, you know, previously under Conte, these players that... Like Basuma, for example, Saar, where were they? Like, why were they not playing with this kind of confidence under Conte? World-class manager and, and a relative nobody in Postacoglu who there were a lot of question marks about, even for myself, because I didn't know much about him. It was almost kind of like taking away pressure and, and, and allowed these players to go out and express themselves and, and you're seeing a real difference, man. So long may it continue. And I also want to shout out Vicario, the, the new keeper as well, because... I have had question marks about him all throughout preseason and even in the first game against Brentford, but I think he looked assured in, in, on the ball in possession. 
Um, I think he made some good saves and he was very commanding as well from crosses. So, listen, all in all, it's a good performance, but I don't want to kind of get ahead of myself too, too much. It's early on. It's um, been two games and it's been it's happened before where we started the season well and we, we've tailed off like after like the international break. So I don't want it to be a case of that, but I think it's really important to start the season well. We've got a few good fixtures coming up now, so hopefully we can keep the momentum going, man. So... I, I I agree with you. I think d the biggest thing for me with Spurs is that you have a coach that looks like he actually wants to be there and coach the players that he's got. Like, I, I, it sounds such a basic premise, but after Nuno, after Conte, after Mourinho, like, you've got a coach making... I mean, that's his biggest move, and... He actually wants, he doesn't look like he's demanding players or anything like that or putting it out to Levy in public. Like, you've got to go out there. It's like, all right, I'll just see what I can do. Like, I've got enough ability, belief in myself. And like you say, like, Basuma looks like Brighton Basuma. Saar looks fantastic. Madison looks like an inspired signing. And you're doing all that without your front three having a goal contribution between them. And not even looking like they'll get a cold contribution between them. So <laughs> that is, yeah, fair play, fair play. Like, I, I hate saying it. My God, I hate that with all my heart saying that. But fair play so far. Hope, hopefully for you it continues. I hope yeah. it crashes and burns. I think we can both say that pretty fair. <laughs> yeah, I've listened, man. That one. I think the manager's really come in and he's dealt with, with off-the-field problems. But the, you're spot on in terms of... We've got a manager in that we don't feel like we do like they're doing us a favour. Like we've almost said to him, we've given him the platform. Tottenham is a massive club, yeah. Despite what people say about trophies and things like that, we're a massive club, and we deserve to be in you know at, near the top of the league and challenging in Europe, in my opinion. So if we've got a manager that believes in it too, like who knows? But it's early days, man. Just trying to keep it keep feet on the floor and just just kind of there's no pressure on the season man just gotta enjoy it yeah fair enough fair enough um drew we've waxed lyrical enough about spurs for like for me for like a good like three months i reckon um so we're gonna go back to united um like i said earlier <laughs> i think spurs got away with i think a couple of a lucky penalty decisions and i only say that because once you put it in the ref's hands you're asking for trouble either way. Mm -hmm. So whether or not you think it is or isn't a penalty, once you're leaving it up to them and we know how shocking they are, that is it. I, I do think they probably were both pens, but again, it is what it is. That's a flip of a coin. They also had a couple of bad misses. Like that Bruno header was fucking hilarious in the first half for anyone without him in their fucking fantasy team. <laughs> Ten Hag has got a lot to solve here. So put yourself in his shoes. What are you doing to solve this team right now? Because I think across the park, they've got a lot to work out and he has got to do it quick. Yeah, I think, you know, in the summer um, or like the end of last season, a lot of people looked at like your Chelsea's, Liverpool, Spurs, even to a point um, that, you know, we need like surgeries on our 11 and on, on our squad. But no one really you know, mentioned things about United or the things that I heard was like, they, we just need to replace the hair and we'll be calm. When I'm looking at this United team <clears throat> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking two things. They need a lot more. I think they need another 
They need a right back because Dalo and Wambisaka are, are good at one thing, but they're not good at the other thing. So that's, yeah, there's no balance between them. I think Luke Shaw is probably the most overhyped England player ever, or he's definitely top five. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I was never a big Luke Shaw fan. And Luke Shaw, you know, for the simple reason, because sometimes Luke Shaw can look amazing and, I, I, and I'll give him that. But a lot of the times he's just, he can be a basket at the same time. You get me? So he should be at the point of his career where he should just be a solid, a solid player for United. But he's not that. I think United, in terms of like their centre-back, so Lissandra Martinez and Varane and um, even Onana, I think those are, you know, their best players, I think. I think Onana has been a good signing for them, um, especially with the way that Ten Hag wants to play. Um, I even made a joke in the group chat is that he looks like their best midfielder because he's the one that picks out the best passes for them. And he's been doing it in both in Wolves and against Spurs, to be honest. Casemiro, uh, let's go to their midfield. Casemiro, Mount, Bruno, I already spoke about that. It's a recipe for disaster. There needs to be some sort of balance. Individually, you know, on their day, they can be very good players, but we'll put, put all three of them in a game and oppositions are, 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 are laughing, to be honest. You can, you can definitely get at them. At their front three, I think this is where, you know, serious uh, care needs to be taken because... Rashford as a nine. I know I've said I've I've said many a times, you know, to kind of fit the attacking talent that United has. Rashford should uh be played as a nine. But every time he plays there, he's he looks lost. He looks like he doesn't want to he doesn't do anything. He is someone that likes to be involved, to come from the left, cut in and you know, shoot. But I feel like for Rashford to even like elevate to the next status or to like to be like a proper world-class forward, he needs to be able to play as a nine. I think the excuse of Rashford can't play nine, why do we put him as a nine? He should just be a left forward and that's it. I think like it's done, man, because even like the basics of being a number nine, he can't do, you get me? So for me, like for me, that's not an excuse. Like if you're a nine and you saw kind of the difference when Martial came on, there was actually a small difference in the things that Marshall was doing, the things that Rashford was doing. So I think with Rashford's talent, stature, contract, everything that he has, he should be play, he should be able to play and excel as a nine and as a left forward, man. I don't think there should be excuses for that. But, you know, Ten Hag has a huge problem, especially because obviously the signings that he's made are his signings and he has to find a way to make it work and based on what we say based on what everyone is saying especially Anthony and Mason Mount that's looking like an uphill battle for him and yeah he's looking stressed he came out and said in preseason that um I want to they want to be the best transitional team in the world mate Every every single team playing against you is going to be the best transitional team in the world. It's like it's like, it's like the opposite. You get me? So Ten Hag, he, he needs to start coaching, man. Stop spending the bread. They shouldn't trust him with you know signing players or giving him bread. He needs to start putting his money where his mouth is and and start coaching his players, man. Because yeah, it, it might it might be a peak season for him with Champions League as well. I agree, completely agree. I think for me the main thing, and I don't want to spend too much longer on this and United. But they just look categorically unfit. They do mm. not look physically ready for this season. And my main one is Casemiro. I get that he is having to cover the gulf of the pitch due to Mountain Bruno and Anthony and Garnacho and Rashford not progressing. <laughs> but he, whilst he has been hung up to dry, he is—he just can't run. He, 
Yeah. He is looking like a 31-year-old defensive midfielder who has 400-plus games on his legs. And that's not a bad thing against him. I, like, that happens. But when he can't put out your fires, you're then going to be in trouble. So we'll see how and if Ten Hag adapts. Um, we had an 8pm game on Saturday night, the Battle of the Nation-States, City welcoming Newcastle. Um, I thought the Geordies looked great. They went toe-to-toe with <laughs> winners that are City. Toe-to-toe? Well, as much as they could. I, I didn't think they looked out of place. I think that's okay. pretty fair. Yeah, that's but, fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, a game in which Haaland doesn't take a, sh- a get a shot on target all game, or did he not even take a shot? I can't remember what the differentiation was. Um, but they still have Juli and Alvarez to seal the win for him. And that's without KDB. They, they're just not going to miss a beat. So good luck to Arsenal. Title challenging. Um <laughs> And we move to, we finally get to today, we finally get to Sunday, and Villa welcoming the Toffees to Villa Park. They get o- they're having to get over their opening day, absolute smashing at the hands of the Geordies. Um, and they did that and more. Everton just looked like relegation follower the whole time. Beaten 4-0. How Ollie Watkins only got one assist that whole game pisses me off dramatically, but that's my FPL talking. Um... Yeah, I think I have to say Fulham are relegation candidates based on how they've played. Everton are completely down there as well. You've got Calvert-Lewin getting injured again. You've got Awobi going out injured. They're buying Harrison or loaning Harrison who is injured. They have nothing going forward. They are relying on Arnout, Down Juma and set pieces. That's it. So they need to get... They're, they're, put, they're putting a bid in for Shea Adams as well. Another striker that returns five goals in 38 games so yeah good good luck they're, they're going down man i've i've even got them in my predictions to go down man that's that was an easy decision to be honest they they're washed I've, yeah i think i might i think about like 17th and that was purely because of deitch that's not because of everton at all it's purely because of ginger Mourinho. but <laughs> i can easily see it um last and in my opinion certainly least um, West Ham welcoming my billion-pound assembled team, that is Chelsea. Chelsea looking for their first win of the season, the first one that I can remember in fucking ages, and they didn't get it um, because the Irons had other plans and they took the early lead because of, if you had to guess, how would it be? Well, you'd probably put good money on West Ham scoring a goal through a Ward-Prowse quarter kick that just meets the head of one of their fucking massive lads. Um, sometimes football really is simple. To be fair, I think we can say, guys, um, Chelsea worked their way back into it through the first half. They were playing some quite nice football, primarily on the back of Raheem Sterling. And then they equalised thanks to a Chukwameka goal, his first senior goal. Great take. Unfortunately, he looks like he's now dead, but we had it. While, we could enjoy it whilst it lasted. Um, Raheem won a penalty to end the first half. Enzo misses his first ever penalty kick. Not that great a penalty. Then a quote-unquote disaster class, but I'm ch- coupled with an absolute quality finish from Antonio gave West Ham the lead again in the second half. Um, Aguard then gets sent off for a second yellow. So Chelsea are now up against 10 men. I'm thinking you have to make the most of this. And West Ham improved. I think they looked better from that point. Chelsea didn't get anywhere close to West Ham's goal. Um, they even managed to finish off the game thanks to a Paqueta penalty. I bet you can say that he bet on himself to score that. <laughs> um, right. 
So, strikes, well, I'll speak to you about it. So, obviously, it's your former manager, Poch, that has come to Chelsea. And I know you're you're not liking that. Like, I've seen the fuck Poch tweets and I get it completely. I did the same with Bruno <laughs> and Conte and all the various Boas. Um, but what did you make of Chelsea's performance? Because Poch, you know, after game is doing the whole, yeah, I think we should have won. Um, honestly, like, I don't think Chelsea played badly. I think, you know, you went one nil down and said, Warprouse corner you know, header happens. But after that, took control of the game, man. I think Chelsea were the better team. Sterling was was on it today. It's the best I've seen Sterling in a long time, driving at man, getting to the byline. But I think the biggest problem that you had was no one was in the box to put away these chances. Several times, balls were put across the face of the box. And, and don't get me wrong, like, I think Jackson is, is a handful. I think he's, he's a threat. But I don't know if he's going to be that man to, to get the, the tap-ins, the... The, the goals that you love as a striker, he does a lot outside of the box. But and if it's not him, then I just look at that Chelsea team and think where are the goals going to come from. Um, but all in all, I don't think he played badly. I think the goals you conceded just were poor. Obviously, the penalty at the end, I thought Caicedo came on and had a had a shocking debut. I, I can't lie. Um, but you know, I'm sure. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> I know. I know you're happy about that one. Um, but yeah, all in all, man, I don't think he played badly. I think if they were at at the point of which, um, you know, at half time, I thought Chelsea would go on and win in the second half. Antonio does score a good goal kind of out of nowhere. West Ham kind mm-hmm. of sat on that a little bit and tried to play on the counter-attack. And they were they were causing a few problems on the counter-attack. But Chelsea were definitely the team on the ascendancy. Um, it's just a case of when, when the goals will come and where they'll come from, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, Reese James is a big miss. Um, but yeah, I think I think Chelsea would be fine, man. Look, I, as much as I don't like Pochettino for for going to you guys, he's a top manager, and he gets spoken about a lot in in our group chat. A lot of people ain't rating his thing, you know. People saying that he ain't the guy and things like that. I personally think he'll get Chelsea back up there challenging. If not this season, then the season after. Um, it's just a case of can you get someone that's going to put the ball in the back of the net? I don't know if Jackson's that guy, um, but. I think that the future is very, very promising for Chelsea. It will just take time, man. I I totally agree with you, man. Agree with, I think, agree with everything you said. I think what Poch, and this isn't... Because your point about Nico Jackson is exactly right because Poch right now is missing in Kunku. Like, the whole preseason was about getting the most out of him. He gets injured on a fucking disgusting turf. He's out for four months. So you have to rejig. And... Chukwameka has come in and looked really good and now he's dead and Drew as much as Kaisodo had an awful awful debut and hopefully that's not a sign of things to come I think <laughs> that's a man who has not been like working out properly like just on his fitness for a while I think he's going to take a lot of time to like embed which makes the whole negotiating over his price for ages before the obvious drama bro <laughs> But yeah. anyway, so we brought on Mudrick to replace Chukwameka. Now, I have already said in the group chat that because I lost Havertz and Mount, I had to take over two new players to Stam. And one of them was Fafana, who's now dead. The other one is Mudrick. Mudrick, I, I spoke a lot about Anthony earlier. And I think he's clued. I think Anthony is an awful footballer at the moment. I don't know what he's doing. Mudrick does not have a single clue what to do on a football pitch. Like... Unless he is high and wide and gets his player one-on-one, he doesn't know where to go, he doesn't know who to pass to, he doesn't know what decisions to make. 
and he's completely bereft of confidence and he's not going to be relied upon especially if Chuck Mecca like he was leaving this stadium bait on his crutches like like where do you start with a player like that because he's obviously got the pace and the trickery but he's going to be re- relied upon now to start yeah. and he, where do we, where do we go from there I think Pochettino I think Pochettino needs to do uh or needs to treat him the way he treated Dele Alli at Spurs at his time. So he needs to, you know, pay special... I know there's a lot of youngsters at, at Chelsea and there's a lot of, you know, youngsters that he probably needs to take extra more attention to. But I think Mudrick is probably the main one because obviously in terms of the tools that he has, you know, you don't want the tools and the money that you paid for him. You don't want a talent like that going to waste. However... Like you said, man, if we're if we're just being honest and if we're judging um Anthony like that as well, then we have to judge Mudrick like that. And for me personally, I've not been impressed with Mudrick whatsoever. And I don't know whether he's bereft of confidence or whether he himself is not confident or whether he still has Arsenal on the back of his mind. I don't know what it is, but this guy he he yeah he looks lost he looks lost as well and I think he's even I think Anthony's even been better than him and that's that's not even saying a lot to be honest but it, yeah I think Mudrick has not shown anything apart from a couple of twists and turns against Trent last season on his debut game um, which is not hard as well I guess but other than that man Mudrick and 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 that that goal he scored in preseason as well which which I thought you know is is there's things to come there but. Yeah, man. I don't know. I don't know what needs to happen other than Pochettino needs to take special, special care and attention with this guy, man. And, you know, get that confidence in him. Tell him that he's the guy. Um, do extra training. I don't know what. I don't know what, but he needs to do, you know, something like that, man. It's a psychological thing with that guy, probably, man. Um, and yeah, it just shows, man. Like, Chelsea, you know, you, you man do a lot of hijacking and at least, you know, Caicedo actually wanted to come to your club, but you know, make sure that these players, they want to, you know, play for the badge and that, you get me? Before you sign them, because otherwise, you, you get a Mudrick situation, man. And I'm trying to figure out, I don't know what you guys think, I'm trying to figure out, if uh, if he actually went to Arsenal, would he have, would we be talking um, about Mudrick the same way? Or would he lit it up? That's what I'm trying to figure out, I'm not sure. I don't know how much better he would have done performance-wise, but I think he would have been hidden a lot more because you've got Martinelli in front of him. Like people would have been asking the question, like, why would you spend 70, 80 million? Where I can't remember how much he costs, and that's just because there's too much Chelsea transfer admin. Mm. But because you've got Martinelli in front of him, it's not an immediate need. Whereas you look at that Chelsea team that cannot win, that cannot score, and you think, well, you're a lot of money in one player, like do something, sort of thing. So, and I think as well, Arteta would have probably made the game a lot more simple for him. Like, yeah. I think he's got a lot more of a tact- an overall tactical plan with a lot more settled squad where he could have just said, right, mate, for the first six months, you are just going to embed. You want to come on with 20 minutes left. Just, we'll get you one-on-ones. Just beat them. Beat the man, get the ball in the box, and let's see how we do. So, I think you probably would have done better, but I think that's probably because Arsenal were a lot more of a settled club compared to yeah. Chelsea. So, might be a reason as well. But, Hey ho, hey ho. I mean, and as well, based on your point about like transfers and hijacking, like I really can't see Chelsea buy any more players. I I am <laughs> I'm like I am so fatigued with the we've got a whole buy the player, get through it. I am like th- especially for this season, let's just be done with it. 
We've already spent so much. Like, let's just focus on the players we have in house and see where they go and see how we can improve them. Let's not go because, yeah, it's just tiring now. Like, you, I don't get excited anymore. I really don't. After mm. I'm, like, even like the Lavia one for this week, like I was saying in the group, I didn't particularly want him, not because he's not a good player, but because I just. Like, why would you spend 105 million pounds on Enzo, then 115 million pounds on Kaiseido, then go, right, okay, well, it's another 55 million we then need to spend on their backup? Like, yeah, doesn't over. make sense. No, but just, just, just quickly on Chelsea before we, before we go. I mean, I agree with what Stris said, man, because I think a, a few people will say, yeah, this Chelsea project will take years and years, and Chelsea, they don't. They do not look ready. That's that's all cap, man. I think even in the Liverpool game, you, you can see that you can see a huge change from last season, to be honest. Even on the two shell, in the way Chelsea plays, man. You you guys are playing you, you guys are taking care of the ball. You guys are, you know, being extremely direct with your wingers, playing a lot of balls in behind, and you have a striker that, you know, causes nuisance in a good way, not in a Darwin Nunez way, but in a, in a in a good way. The only thing he needs to do is, you know. Um, put the ball in the back of the net. And I think this is just a matter of Poch like figuring out his best eleven and the and all the players are here trying to figure out, you know, what the what the best you know formation is for everyone. And I think I think one, he'll figure it out this season. And two, once he gets that figured out, it's 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 gonna be peak, man. So I did think Chelsea were the better team against West Ham and you were kind of unlucky but I don't uh, at the same time we shouldn't take anything away from West Ham because they they done a lot to stay in the game as well and they played better than I expected so they were good value for the win for sure but 100% like I mean I said it earlier in the in the pod football can be very simple and West Ham aren't a tactically complex team but they are extremely effective Mm. and I think the main thing about Poch like you say there is already a marked difference compared to last season Again, he's just got the squad fit. Like that squad looks ready to press. That squad looks ready to play for a full half before instead of actually like after 30 minutes being like, oh, we're done and just yeah, like, man. posing for it. But hey ho, we need to get. Oh, I need, I, can't, I could run about Chelsea for ages, but I need to be disciplined and get us to the bar. Let's have some shots, boys. I'm going to start us off, and my shot is for Conor Gallagher. And like I love Cobham. I think we need to continue to push Cobham. This transfer window has been like very bad for selling Cobham. But Conor Gallagher, we have just spent 170 million to replace him. And if Enzo and Sterling have been our standout players so far that in the two games that we've seen, he is top three. He has been fantastic. And if we sell him, I will be very, very upset because he is just doing the job that is required of him no fuss not not putting up any bad vibes whatsoever and doing it really well so i hope he continues drew do you have a shot for me yes sir i've got a shot for you know um my new number eight dominic soboslai um made his anfield debut said he couldn't wait to play in front of the cop um and he's shine man he's shown um you know as an eight, and then when he had to be a six, he done that as well. Even though he just wanted to bomb forward and leave Endo completely isolated, but yeah, he had he had a worldy of a game, man. Um, one of the one one of one one of the only ones that 
you know, beat Bournemouth's press with ease. Um, he's deceptively quick as well. I didn't know he was that quick. He was up and down, uh, defended well, attacked well, makes the right decision. Dawson Dole, the only thing that I need from him is to to shoot more when he's in when he's in the area, man, because we all know that that's that's his main that's his main asset. So, you know, I'm not screaming Stevie G yet, but we got a Hungarian incarnate in, incarnation. Is it incarnation? I think that's the word. Uh, yeah, of him, man. It, yeah, he's yeah he's been brilliant, man. I'm looking forward to seeing him against you know against Newcastle next week. So yeah, my shot goes to Dominic Soboslai. That's gonna be a cracking game. Um, strikes. You obviously have a shot, so bring it on us. Yeah, man. Give me a little rare nephew, um, <laughs> strong team. Basically, my shot is for a man that a certain man in the podcast. Yeah, try to say he was flop of the season, or he would be flop of the season last season, and then obviously after the season finished, it kind of looked vindicated because he didn't have a good season, right? But wasn't factoring in everything, formation, manager, the fact we played two in the midfield, injuries, etc., etc. To think we signed this man for 25 million with the amount of money that is being thrown around Declan Rice, Caicedo and, and all these players going for big, big money. Yves Basuma. I think this is going to be a big season for him, man. I feel like this is the season where we're going to see the kind of player that w- was balling out at Brighton, um, playing free-flowing football under a manager that wants to play that way wants to play forward and wants the players to express themselves, man. So big shout out to Basuma, back-to-back man of the matches in his first two games of the Premier League season and long may it continue. Fair enough, fair enough. Right, listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. As always, we have been the BBP boys and we'll catch you next week as always. Peace, guys. Peace. <laughs> hey, guys.